Well, good day, Fellowship family. It's great to have you here in Seattle, Washington. We're kind of getting their weather pattern this weekend. Glad that you're here. Uh, hey, the good news is, with all this rain, last year, this was ShareFest weekend. So I, I don't like to work outside when it's like this. So next weekend, I looked at the weather forecast this morning. It's supposed to be 70 degrees and sunny. But what do they know, right? What do they know seven days out? Uh, it's great to have you here. We're continuing this series called The Flow of Everything. And we're really looking at not only God being the source and sustainer of everything in our lives, but what does it look like when uh, the source of everything pours everything into our lives? What does that look like? Because last week we looked at the simple principle that God is the source of everything. There's no bones about it. In the scriptures, as you read, God is the source. He's the giver. He's the maker. He's the sustainer of all things. And, and therefore, if God is the source of everything in our lives, then everything we have is a resource. It's a resource. So today I want to kind of look at it. What, what happens when God's resources hit your life? What's the pattern of things when they come into your life? And we've been talking about rivers because rivers show us uh, a source. They have a source that there's uh, the headwaters of, of every river and it flows down and it gives life and abundance to the land around it. In just a month, I'm going to be going to Israel. And when you go to Israel, the one key river there is the Jordan River. You can't travel there without really seeing it or, or understanding it or wanting to understand a little bit more about it. As you approach from the south and you look on the mountains, it's basically desert and barren all around it. But then there's this fertile crescent of land all lined up with the Jordan River. The Jordan River gives life and abundance all around it. And from, from the dawn of civilization, people have been walking through that area, staying close to the Jordan River because they could have water for their families or for their flocks. It was an, also a, a river that showed blessing and that was a promise from God that as the children of Israel crossed, uh, went across the Jordan River, they were now into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. This would be the place of blessing. Have you ever thought of your life kind of like a Jordan River, giving life and abundance to, the, to people around you, to places around you? I want to talk to you about the, the river of God's blessings, of everything that flows through your life, from the gospel of Jesus to the goodness and the character of God and, and to his gifts and his abilities and his resources that he has given you. I'd like to talk to you about that. And as I do, I want to just kind of share with you, uh, this is now the fifth time I've heard this message this week. I still need to hear it. I still need to hear it. I, I happen to be preaching to myself because I'm a work in progress. Uh, you just happen to be in the room today. So welcome. Welcome to my story. Because it's a story that I think God has been working with on me a long time. And uh, I absolutely love his heart. That his heart is that we're not defined by things. And our culture does that, right? Our culture says this is how much you make. This is what you do. This is what you've accomplished. This is the car you drive, the house you live in, the clothes you wear, and that makes up you. No, Bible says no way, because you're far more valuable than anything you could earn or own. We're priceless. People are priceless. 
Have you ever thought why God entrusts things to you? Why does he pour everything into your life? I want to give you four reasons. I was refreshed by this this week. First reason is God, God pours everything into our lives to remind us that he loves us. God is a loving God. And from the gospel to his goodness, to his gifts, God gives because he loves us. Now you can give without loving, but you can't love without giving. How many of you have a um, under two-year-old right now? Let's see those hands up if you're awake. Yes. Okay. So you give up yourself every day. And, and you, uh, you give to that child because they have great needs. And you, when you love them, there's always the pattern of what you're giving to them. Paul talks about God's love in this way. He says this. Whoop, went too far. He says, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. Look at that picture. God is full of mercy. He's full of grace, which means undeserved love. He loves us even though we were dead in our sins. Even we were dead to him. Even when we were rebelling against him, even when we wanted life on our own terms, God said, no, I'm going to love you anyway. I'm going to love you anyway. And being rich in love, he poured that out through Christ. Jesus Christ came and lived on this world. He lived a perfect life. The one I can't live or neither can you. And he died on a cross to pay the price for my sin and yours. And he rose again on the third day. Everything I have with God is because he loved me. John was the apostle who was transformed by God's love. This is what he says about God's love. He says in John, 1 John 3, 16, he says, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. Did you ever realize that's a, the definition of biblical love? It's us laying down our lives for each other. Why? Because that's what Jesus did with us. When we love each other, what we do is we give up ourselves. That's not the world's love. Our world's love is you earn it, you deserve it, you perform for it. And when you reach success, then you'll be rewarded with it. And God's love says, no, no, no. No, it's it's unconditional, 100% giving up, laying down your life for someone else. And God does that. When he provides for us, that's what he does. He shows us that he loves us. But he doesn't just show us that he loves us. He also meets needs, right? And that's the second reason. God provides for our needs. And that's why he pours everything into our lives. From the need for forgiveness, God provided that through Jesus. From our need for the character of God, for more patience, for more kindness, for more gentleness, for more more self-control. God pours that into my life to provide for that need. We are needy people. We are. We are. And we would be lying if we didn't realize how much God has sustained our lives. He keeps us going. Remember we looked at Psalm 145 last week? Take a look at it again. The verse before I looked at last week says, The eyes of all look to you, and you give them their food in due season. And look at this again. You open up your hand. You satisfy the desire of every living thing. I'm a living thing. So are you. (laughs) And, And we're all sourced and sustained by God. God meets needs. That's why he gives to us. Thirdly, he, um, uh, thirdly, he says, uh, to, he gives us everything to experience his grace by giving. We're actually called into being more like God by how he's entrusted things to us. 
when, when Paul was talking to the church in Corinth, they were a wealthy, affluent church. And there was a really poor church going, actually starving to death. And they were in Jerusalem. Jerusalem at that time was going under a, a great famine. And so the church in Jerusalem called out and said, we need some help. So Paul wrote to the church in Corinth and said, I, I need you to set aside an offering so we can help our brothers and sisters in, in Jerusalem. And they said, yes, count us in. We're in. But they didn't act. They didn't do anything. So 2 Corinthians is the big reminder. Look what he says. He says, when you give to them, it's, it's all for your sake that as grace extends to more and more people, it, it will increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. What does that mean? What he meant was that as you give and needs are met in Jerusalem, people are going to go, thank you, God. Thanks for providing these resources. Thanks for, for providing food. And as a result, God in their lives is going to become greater. And whenever you make God greater, that's all about the word glory. When you glory in God, you're making him greater in your life. When you give to the Lord, you are making him greater more than all the other things in your life. That's why we're called to give our first and our best, not our last or our leftovers, because we make God greater. He's not a side issue in our lives. He's the source, the sustainer, and the center of everything we have. But then... The final reason God gives us is not only to share in his grace, but also to invest in eternity. Folks, you've been here. Some of you have been here for a long time. So, you know, we talk about this a lot. What three things last forever? God, his word, and people. Great. Yes. God, uh, he's from everlasting to everlasting. He is Lord, right? Uh, The flower fades, the grass withers, but the word of the Lord lasts forever. And people, people are eternal. People are priceless. You're worth far more than what you make. You're worth far more than what you drive or what you, where you live. You're worth far more than the next upgrade, the next whatever else. You are priceless. And you've been bought with a price. And as a result of, of the worth that God has given us by sending Jesus to live, die, and rise again from the dead, we're called to not live for the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. Paul reminds the church to do this. Take a look at that continuing passage in 2 Corinthians 4. He says in verse 18, We look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, or another word for that is temporary. But the things that are unseen are eternal. We're called really then to live by faith with everything God has given us. Why did he give it to you? Because he loves you. He wants to provide for your needs. He wants you to share with him in the, in the grace of giving. And he wants you to invest in eternity, things that last. When you give to advance the gospel in the lives of people, when you give to meet a need, a physical need in someone, I mean, you are, you are reflecting the, the source and the sustainer of everything. Now, as, uh, let's go back to the Jordan River because I want to, uh, kind of share with you the, the picture of the Jordan River. Um, this is, well, here's the principle. The end of the Jordan River is the Dead Sea. And, uh, this means something. Here's what it means. As you look over the Dead Sea, it's actually a large, uh, larger, uh, body of water then the Sea of Galilee, which the, the Jordan River flows into and flows from down to the Sea of, down to the Dead Sea. But the, the Dead Sea is 11 times saltier 
than ocean water. So any fresh water that hits it is useless. It gives no life. It gives no land. I mean, it's, it's toxic. That's why it's called the Dead Sea. Now, recently, they discovered that there's one thing that lives in the Dead Sea. And at the bottom of the Dead Sea, they found an algae that, that is growing there. Big whip, right? Nothing, nothing lives in it. There's no animals. There's no fish. They'd probably float to the surface. Because I tried it once, and I floated to the surface. There I am. It's like jello that you're sitting in. And you can't even turn over to your stomach because it moves you back to your back. And you flail, and it's awkward. And all the minerals that have been sitting there deposited for generations are on you. And it makes your skin soft. People go there for like a spa. But that's about it. I remember touching my, touching my, uh, my finger right next to my eye and a drop of the dead, dead sea hit my eye and just erupted into flames. I mean, of, of pain and shards of glass in it. I had to get out of there and flush it with fresh water because it was so, uh, you know, so much of a, an irritant to your eyes. It's good for nothing. So Israel and Jordan, the two countries that bordered the Jordan River, got smart. And they decided to use all the fresh water that they could out of the Jordan River because once it hit the, the Dead Sea, it's useless. And so as you're driving down the Jordan River, driving south, you'll see a whole bunch of crops and a whole bunch of farmland and, and orchards that try to harness this fresh water before it hits the Dead Sea because once it hits the Dead Sea, it's done. Do you ever think of yourself as the Jordan River? And someday you're headed for the Dead Sea? And everything that you prepare here on earth, everything that you have here on earth, once it hits the Dead Sea, once you hit death, what good will it be? Really? I know you go, whoa, I want to save up millions and millions and give it to my children. I have seen kids destroyed by that mentality. I've seen families fight over it. And I've seen people's legacies just get trashed because of the, they just gave so much of it to their kids and that it destroyed their kids. Folks, the Dead Sea in our lives is death. So how are we living in a way that our lives are more like the, the Jordan River than the Dead Sea? So that when, when, when water, when things hit us, when the flow of God's blessings hit us, we give life and abundance and provi- provision to people around us rather than having it kind of just stagnate with us. Do you know that God is passionately committed in redefining you and what this world has defined you as? God is passionately committed to showing you your worth and his worth in your life. He's called you to see him as the treasure. And we're called away. We're called away from ourselves. And we're called into an unlimited treasure of his greatness and his goodness in our lives. Jesus spoke about this 10 times more than he did other topics that I've spent 10 times more than this talking about, which means he's passionately committed, especially in our culture that tends to define you by how much you make or where you, what you own or what you have or the success that you've made. He wants us to realize what lasts forever and what will easily fade away. And he shows us in Luke chapter 12. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12, Jesus is teaching, and um, we aren't told 
this guy's name, but he just comes up. Take a look at this. He says, someone in the crowd said to him, verse 13 of Luke 12, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable saying, the land of a certain rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and I will build larger ones. And there I will store my grain and my, all my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said, fool, fool, this very night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. I want to kind of put down the anchor on this passage because I think it really can define in us uh, of what a life could look like if you focused on the riches you already have from God through faith in Christ rather than the things you don't have by comparing yourself with people around you. Because what Jesus wants to say is you're rich. You're rich. You all have riches through Christ. You have eternal life. You have a whole new life. You have a future with hope and glory that's far beyond comparison of anything else this world can offer us. You're rich. So live in that richness that you have in Christ. And so what I've done is I've looked at three different questions that I think are worth asking ourselves. And I'm going to ask them, as I've asked them to myself, I'm going to ask them to you. I'm going to ask you to consider And as you answer these questions in your own life, I want you to think about what could it look like if if these values directed everything God flowed into my life. And then I'm going to trust that God will just work in your hearts and work in your experience as you follow him. First question that this text kind of brings up is this. When you're spending, as you see the flow of everything that moves through your life, the question is, is this coveting? Or is it content? Where do I get that? Look at the words of Jesus. He said this, take care and be on your guard against all covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of of possessions. Did you realize that? Did you realize that your life is not the sum total of what you have or what you don't have? You're not any more valuable because you're a billionaire or a millionaire than you are if you are spending it all and living in debt. God values you far more than anything money could give you. And so we need to be people who live with that contentment of what we have in Christ more than covetousness. Now, we don't hear that word covetousness too much in our world today. You're coveting. (laughs) We don't do that. I mean, you hear that in church. But literally what coveting means is... Coveting is is basically the drive for more of what you don't have. And it leads to discontentment. If I'm always wanting more of the next gadgets, the next things, it's going to always build in me a discontentment with what I already have. And that contentment ultimately is peace 
or thankfulness with what God has already entrusted to me. It's not always looking for more. It's content. And look at the demand from the man who said this. He says, teacher, tell my brother to, you know, divide up the inheritance. And Jesus probably wasn't even talking about that topic. And all of a sudden he hears this demand. He says, I'm not a judge. I'm not an arbitrator over you. And then he looks at his disciples and he says, hey, guys, take care. Take care against all forms and be on guard against all covetousness. Why does he say that? Because coveting is sneaky. It is. As a pastor, I have never had someone come into my office and go, Pastor, I just got to confess this to you. I spend way too much money on myself. I really do. And my kids, I'm trying to live my life with my kids and I'm paying on select sports and I'm paying on dance. And I, I mean, it's thousands of dollars a year and we're just spending way too much and it's affecting how much we're giving to the Lord and it's keeping us in obligations. It's not giving us opportunities to serve and love Jesus and worship him with our things. I've never had people, why? Because none of us think we have a problem with coveting. None of us do. And yet Jesus sees the heart. And he says, beware, take care, shepherd your hearts. When you're asking that question, before I buy this, before I make that next, is this coveting or am I content? We're called towards that contentment. We have to be wise with everything we have so that we're living more contently rather than living coveting. Now, uh, the second question I want you to think about is this. Is this foolish or is it faithful? Look what God says to that man who said, I've got enough for years to come. By the way, don't we, there, there is a little whisper in the back of most of our minds living in the American culture. Save and get enough so you can live however you want to. And actually, this guy's story is a story kind of like the American dream. I want to get to a point where I go, years to come, taken care of. That's called self-dependent, self-made. I don't need, I mean, we don't need God and we don't need anyone else. I don't need to work. I just got it. I got it made. I got my life on my own terms. That's part of the American dream. But what does is, what is God say to that man? He says this, fool. It's one of the strongest confrontations that God makes. Fool, this very night, your soul is required of you. And the things you've prepared, whose will they be? Whose will they be? Dead Sea. Dead Sea. Uh, we, have some, we have some funeral directors who go to our church, and they have confirmed with me that they have never attached a U-Haul to the back of the hearse. They've never done that yet. Now, I know some of you will send me a viral picture, you know, where some of you see a, a hearse calling you. They, that happened, but only on Facebook. It doesn't happen in real life. No, we can't take it with us. So what we do, will it last forever, or is it something that's just spent up and flows to the Dead Sea? I think that's an important thing because unless we're intentional, we're going to be led in the wrong direction with the spending of things. Let me just share my own life. I remember when I I was in high school and uh, everyone, (laughs) okay, I'm going back to a bad memory. Everyone saw me as the prep, 
okay? And one thing preps were were the Izod alligator. Remember that? That was before the Ralph Lauren little polo guy. It was the alligator. That was a picture of success and wealth. And so that's what I wore. That was my shirt in high school. And I had so many of them. And it was some, I found my identity in the alligator. You know what the alligator is now, right now? He's in outlet malls. Not worth much. Sorry if you're wearing one, by the way. So I got out of high school and then I started investing in music. Guess what was invented when my, I went into to college? The CD compact disc. Ooh. And I was so thankful because I was so tired of the eight track cassette. You know what we're talking about? The eight track, they were like that big. And the case was like this big. You'd put in your car and right in the middle of your favorite song, they would fade out. It would go and then it would fade back in. It just ruined the song. Some of you young people, you had no idea how hard we had it when we were growing up. But I collected CDs, and I mean, I just had a library of these. And people would come over and go, ooh, wow, look at all those CDs. Yeah, I like music. Can I tell you how many one-hit wonders are in those CDs? And they're not even known today. We laugh. I go, what in the world? Duran Duran, really? (laughs) Really? And I look at that now, and I just go, how foolish was that of me? But then it became a car. And I just didn't need a car. I needed a Mustang GT convertible with white leather. Leather. I mean, it was smoking hot. It was awesome. And I could light up the tires just by punching on it and shifting it into gear. The back end was so light with a five-liter engine. It just smoked. And then one day, while I was in college, I was pulling out of the business school. I had my laundry in the back, and I punched it and the whole top part of my laundry went right off the back of the car, landed on the road. There are my underwear and socks on the road. And I just kept going. (laughs) And some of the guys in my business class on Monday, because that was a Friday, when I came in the room, they all stood up and went. (laughs) Foolish, foolish. I remember, though, when I, um, when I, God started to work in my own heart as I was in seminary, and I was out of money, and I was wondering, how is God going to pro- provide for me? And um, I got offered a job throwing Dallas morning newspapers in the morning. It was a business route. It was from 2.30 in the morning till 7 every morning, and I did that. And it was crazy. But you know what? God provided for my need. And I started realizing that everything I have is from him. So I started to give to him. Even though I was a poor seminary student, I started to give in relation to what he gave me. And he met my needs. And and my life, I've always done that from that point on. And I've started moving away from, and I'll tell you this, I could probably still go move right back into foolishness. I have a fascination with gadgets, so I like it. The next gadget, I can move back into foolishness, but I'm thankful that I'm getting a greater appetite for what it's like to be a faithful servant of God. Faithful with everything God has given me. From the gospel, I want to give that away to others. From the character of God, I want to reflect that to others. From the gifts that God has given me, I want to give that to others and give that to advance the kingdom of God in my generation. I want to be a part of that. I don't want to be left out.
I don't want to be on the banks of the river watching water flow by me without being in it, experiencing what God can do. And God's taught me that. It's been through foolishness, but thankfully he's built faithfulness in me. So are we living in a way that God could entrust us with more? Have you ever thought of maybe you're at where you're at financially and God is saying, what will you do with what I gave you so that I can give you more? It's kind of like fireworks in Topeka. We moved here 15 years ago. We had an 18-month-old, a 4-year-old, and a 6-year-old. We had no idea what fireworks were like in Topeka. And it was crazy. I mean, you give more to fireworks than you do to the Lord. You really do. And you buy up all these fireworks, and it just goes up in smoke. But what do you start with when you're a parent? You start with a sparkler, right? And you say to your kid, here, I will light it, and you will stand still. You will hold it out. And as I light it, you will look in awe and wonder as it ignites in front of you. You will not swing it around. You will not point over to your brother. You will just hold it. And then the kid starts enjoying it. Then you move to snakes. You know what I'm talking about? Little black thing. You light it. Whoa, look at that. And you breathe in the smell because you like the smell of the snake, right? And then you move to other things, the Roman candle. And you hold, dad holds up the Roman candle. Kids stand far back. You know, we go there and eventually they start learning as they're responsible with the sparkler and with the snake, you give them more things, right? What if God gave you things like that? What if he gave you a sparkler right now? And you're taking that sparkler and you're whipping around and you're pointing at someone and you're burning people down. You're burning down the house with a sparkler. Why would he ever give you more? Really? Because here's the reality. It doesn't matter how much you make. It doesn't. If you're living beyond it, it's still eating your lunch. I've counseled families who are making well into six figures a year but they're living on 106% of their income. It doesn't matter. They aren't receiving joy. Things are more, life is an obligation. It's not an opportunity to give and bless. It's just become a dead sea. And it just becomes greater and greater. Instead of them owning things, things own them. And you don't want to live like that. None of us want to live like that. We want to hear God say, well done, good and faithful servant. We don't want God to say, fool. I don't want that strong confrontation. And I know this isn't about guilt and shame, but I think there's a desire in all of us to have our lives be more about one more, be more than just one more thing, collecting one more thing, having life. And by the way, they, being the culture, knows you really well. You can be just looking at something on Amazon and all of a sudden you flip over to Facebook and all of a sudden, oh, there's that thing right there. I was just looking at that thing. How do they know? They know. They know what you've been looking at. They know who's been naughty or nice. They know who spent and who didn't. And they mark it because they know how you make decisions. When we're making foolish decisions, it's easy to see that. When we're making faithful decisions, it bucks the trend of this world. But it really points your life and your contentment and your focus to things that last forever. Foolish or faithful? Final question. Here it is. 
is this, when I spend, is this worshiping things or is this worshiping God with my things? Because here's the picture. God says, you are rich. I have made you rich in Christ. Live as a wealthy person, wealthy in, in your faith, wealthy in the character of God uh, with, with more than you need. And, and I'll even supply you into eternity. So live content. Don't let things define you. And so we're called into worshiping God with our things rather than worshiping the things he's given us. I think we stop short when we worship things and we demand God to give us things. We, what we do is we worship the thing instead of the creator of the thing. And that's actually the heart of disbelief. That's wanting God to do something for me and not really wanting him. That's wanting the rich uncle to give you, but not really wanting a relationship with the rich uncle or aunt. I look at what this man, uh, what Jesus called out in this parable, because the soul of the man was this. He said, I'll say to my soul, you have many goods stored up for years to come. Look at the four things he says. Relax. What's that worshiping? The God of comfort. Do you know how addicted we are in this culture to comfort? You need a better couch. Why? It's comfortable. You need a better sleep number. Why? Because the sleep number I have just now is not cutting it. Comfort. We want things to make us comfortable. Eat, he says. Relax. Eat. Um, are we satisfied with food? Let's do an experiment. I've just enlarged this message to go an extra hour. You guys okay with that? No, because your stomach, your stomach right now is saying, I'm looking out. I'm not just waiting until I hear amen. I'm walking out now. (laughs) Now, eating, boy, you, you look at wealth. That's one of the first thing we improve is what we're eating. We get more distinguishing with what we eat when the more wealth we have. We drive by those other places, goes, oh, I'd never eat there. Why? Because we have the capacity to eat in different places. Drink. How many of us escape with a drink? I'm talking about alcohol. How big is alcohol to us? Is it something that uh, I escape stress from? If I I escape pressure, I, I escape a broken relationship? Is it alcohol? Is it... Is it another chemical that I use to escape from life or the realities that I relax with? That I, we can escape with a, a ton of different drugs here in the U.S. But they will be our God. And they are a monster of a God. I've seen graduates of some of the best universities, most intelligent people who the monster of alcoholism just ate through their lives and ruined every bit of their relationships. And it wasn't because they were stupid. It wasn't because they didn't make good money. It wasn't because they didn't have good education. It's because they worshiped escape more than they did the, the savior, the deliverer of their souls. And we can do that. Be merry. Be merry another thing that rich fool did. We love celebration. Celebrations flow a ton of money through our lives. Guys, the Royals, they're going to the World Series. Hasn't happened in 30 years and probably won't for another 30 by the way they're going this year. (laughs) But when they do, when they do, 
I mean, just look at it. All the flow of things from our life. Seat cost a thousand bucks. Well, the first time in 30 years. Boom. Fireworks. You pay more for fireworks than you give to the people around you or the things of God. We love to celebrate. There's always going to be something to celebrate. But how much do we celebrate the greatness of God that happens every day in our lives? What if Jesus was our greatest celebration? What if he was ultimately the one that we find our joy, our happiness in? Are we living in a way that God could trust us with more? So just as we close, we want to share this vision with you and give you a perspective of God's heart for you, that you are far more valuable than the next thing you want to buy. So what if we really lived intentionally? What if we asked these questions, am I really content or am I coveting something I don't have? Am I content in Christ? Am I content in his character? Am I content with what God has given me? Am I living faithful or foolish? Am I worshiping things or am I worshiping God with my things? If we can ask those questions and you can have a meaningful conversation if you're married with your spouse about this, if you're single with a trusted friend, get... Think through this and just say, let me just share with you what God is telling me and listen to what God is saying. You will find that he will start directing your heart and he will start redirecting a new treasure in your life and everything else follows the treasure. And so I'll trust him with what he's going to do in that. Folks, can I just say thank you? You guys bought 10% of your clothing and we filled up all the trucks all the trucks, they're up to the rim. So thank you for doing that. God bless you. For those of you who are afraid that if you gave 10%, you wouldn't have enough. This is what I kept hearing from people this weekend. I had this pile of shirts and pants and I looked back. There wasn't even a dent. There wasn't a dent in that closet. And we realized, yes, we can give. We can be generous. But what will it look like? In the month of May, we're asking you that whatever you give to the Lord here at Fellowship Bible Church, that you give future months. You don't make it an emotional response to a message series. But you really say, no, I'll follow Jesus with what he's given me. And I'll do that. And you can count on me. And as we do that, we will listen to what God is doing in your hearts. And and we we will plan our next year's budget based on May. May is not a glamorous month. It's not like December, okay? People get busy in May. People graduate in May. So if this is going to happen, it needs to be a work of God in your heart. But it will help us plan. And we're doing it with distance so that it's not an emotional appeal or you're not led by your emotions. You're led by faith. That you really do believe God is the source and sustainer of everything. That everything you have is a resource. And you want to live contently with it, faithfully with it, and you want to worship God with it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thanks for loving us. Thank you for providing for our needs. Thank you for everything you do for us. And Lord, I pray for each of our hearts. Move us far from coveting the next thing to live in contentment. Move us from foolishness to faithfulness. And move us from having our eyes focused on the next thing, from worshiping the next thing or things that are brought to us by things so that we can clearly, joyfully 
worship you with the things you've given us. And may Jesus become greater. May he receive the glory. It's in his name we pray. Amen.